0: Welcome to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. I'm Richard Dugan, your host. Hey, thank you for being with us. I just I just woke up, that's right, I just woke up from uh, a fabulous dream. Yeah, it was very exciting. Uh, I was uh, walking through this incredible meadow, and it's just blue skies, a few wispy clouds, and beautiful green trees off in the distance and just listening to nature. And it was really very cool. And um, our guest is going to help me to interpret that. Or actually, that's probably the best way to put it. My very special guest today is the author of a fascinating book, Psychic Dreams. And basically, this is helping to uh, explore the connection between Dreams and what we talk about on this program almost, well, no, every program is our intuition. The connection between dreams and intuition, you know, we ask you to spend some time during the decade of perfect vision going within and listening to that still small voice. Well, maybe in this case, it isn't so much listening to the still small voice as much as it is maybe getting some impression saying, um, what did this dream that I just had, what does it mean? What are what's the symbolism? What is the, uh, you know, what what does all that uh, stand for? We're going to find out about that. Michael Lennox is my guest. He is the author. Thank you so much for being with us here today on the program.
1: It's my pleasure to be here, Richard. Thanks for having me.
0: You know, uh, what's interesting is I have, I have spoken with a number of uh, uh, people over the years and many of them Ah, uh, they will talk about the fact that um, one in particular. She is also a, sort of a, a a dream interpreter. However, she does not tell people, "Oh, uh, that tree, what that symbolizes is this, and that cow, and and that building, and oh, your your grandmother. Oh, that symbolizes. Well, in that case, it would be your grandmother. It would symbolize. Uh, she doesn't. She doesn't do that. She." facilitates the dreamer to interpret the dream in a manner of speaking for themselves but she takes them down a particular path asks them specific questions uh so that they i have a uh, they can they can define it i have a therapist here in in santa barbara who has taken me through a thing called life between lives hypnosis and uh, I've also just had some sessions with him, which he also uses hypnosis, but he never asks leading questions like, so do you see this? Do you see that? Do you smell this? Do you feel that? What do you see, feel, smell, et cetera, et cetera, is the question he asks. So let's let me start there, all right, yeah. from from this standpoint. Um you you don't actually you personally do not actually interpret a person's dreams do you utilize any kind of dictionary of uh, of the symbols or uh, how how, how, what's your process regarding an individual who is trying to understand why they're having the same their people they'll have the same dream over and over and over again for night after night sometimes for months if not years
1: i do interpret people's dreams I do tell people what I believe the dream means from a gift that I have that I believe in 1000%. Mm-hmm. And when I was in grad school getting my doctorate in psychology, I had already been engaged in the world of dream interpretation since I was a teenager. And I got my doc- my master's and doctorate in my mid thirties, right? So many, many, many years I had already been engaged in using this gift that I have. And boy, did I get a hard time because, in fact, in the world of psychology, therapists are trained not to touch a person's dream in exactly the way you describe. You would never tell a client in a therapeutic environment what you thought the dream means. You hold it sacred. You engage in a conversation. You allow the dreamer to come to their own conclusions and their own projections. And that is not what I do. Mm -hmm. the reason i don't do that and had didn't respond to the training of don't do that to a dreamer is because i discovered at 17 years old that i had a particular gift for hearing the story of a dream and responding with a story behind the story that we would call an interpretation and how i do that is that if you tell me a story that's made up with various symbols in a sort of an order that unfolds as a narrative, each of those symbols has a universal meaning that comes from what that thing is, what its use is, what its essence is, what it does. Like if, if, okay, there's a pen on my desk. If I hold up the pen, There isn't a person in the world who's you know in a modern sort of you know environment that Mm -hmm. doesn't know what this is and what it does. Right. So what it does is express thoughts and words that are permanent, then the symbol of the pen is the ability to express myself in a permanent way. So then maybe the dream is that the 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 ink is leaking and it gets all over the place. Now we've got a story about an uncontrolled expression experience that's based on wanting this pen to work a certain way, but it doesn't. The dream reveals itself to me in terms of its meaning based on following that symbolic sense of universal meaning. So Mm -hmm. the the gift is not that I know something that you don't know. The gift Mm -hmm. is that I can do it so fast that i can present an interpretation before the thoughts have even landed when i picked up this pen you knew immediately what i was talking about in the example right
0: mm-hmm. yeah
1: that's universality in action
0: yeah yeah i'm i'm not a member of an indigenous, an indigenous tribe that lives in the uh, amazon rainforest uh and has never seen a pen <laughs> now that would be also a very interesting uh, interpretation in terms of Someone who had no points of reference. Uh, there was a, a beautiful film. Um, and I'm trying to remember. I saw it in 1998. And, oh, I'm, I am I want to, without sight, I think might have been the name. Man, the premise was this. A young man married. <clears throat> he had lost his sight. And... And uh, it almost mirrored my experience because I was legally blind from birth. And then in 1996 had a lens implant. And the next thing I know in 2006, I am driving through LA traffic to Santa Barbara. So this young man uh, finds out that there is this procedure that might help him to regain his sight. Now he never saw before, uh, but they said, okay, sure. All right, let's do this thing, you know. So here's what happens. The first thing he saw, even though he had felt it, he had drunk from it, was a can of Coke, a Coca-Cola can. I'm sure that was product placement, too. And uh, he did not know what it was. Had no clue because he had no points of reference. And then, of course, as the story goes on, he finds out that he has the site for I don't know, several months, maybe a year or so. And then it starts to diminish. So he goes to the library and he checks out every picture book he can find, you know, so that he can see all of these different images, uh, you know, before his site goes. So he'll have that in his memory. bank. Yeah. 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 Uh, and I thought I, I it was really intriguing when I saw this film. And of course I got scared because I'm thinking, the end of the movie. He he loses his sight. Sorry, folks. Spoiler alert. Spoiler, yes. Uh, and I'm going, oh, please, don't, don't. I don't want that to happen. Although my ophthalmologist in 1995, when I went to be diagnosed and so forth, he told me, he says, you have a 50-50 chance of losing your vision if we do go in and give you a lens implant. And I said, well, then let's do it now, because if I'm going to lose my, lose my sight, let me get started now. I was 36 at the time. I figured... Uh, you know, I'll adjust, you know, now the interesting thing was my first wife was totally blind, lost her vision because she was preemie. And back in the 65, in the sixties, the incubators, they struggled with how to regulate the oxygen, too much oxygen. And it, it hurts the, uh, the eye, the, the, and so forth, not enough. And it hurts the brain. So anyway, so, um, what i remember uh, especially as a child you know talking about these dreams i had two dreams that i still remember to this day now when i had one of them it was frightening because my mother was a part of that dream it doesn't frighten me anymore because my mother is 89 she's lived a long life and um, she doesn't have the dark hair that she had in the dream so i figure that's not going to happen and I tried to figure out why, what the heck that was all about. Even then, I'm, you know, it scared the daylights out of me because she was injured in the dream, hmm. and so maybe the scare was, hey, this is my mother, and I don't want to lose her, and so forth and so on. Another dream: I was a kid; I was very young, maybe four or five. Uh, I remember how dark green the grass was in the summer. My father took immaculate care of our lawns. And then the white concrete of our driveway. I just started pedaling. Now I wasn't on anything. I just started pedaling my feet and I began to rise into the sky. I could fly. It was, it was, it was, and I still see those two dreams, but I'm going to ask you on this, on this program. If if you, if you can, if you're willing to do so, I want to ask you what your thoughts are regarding this particular dream that I had. And this was before I had the lens implant, my friend. I was driving on the highway in a white van. Now, after I did get my driving vision, shall we say, my mother and father, they owned a white Dodge Caravan that they sold me as one of my uh, first or second or third vehicles. And so anyway, I'm driving on the freeway in this white van. And there's this huge, this large grove of trees off to my right. So there's a road. So I take, I turn off the freeway and I go through this grove to this huge meadow. In this meadow is this house. It's stone. It's a stone house. It's built with large stones, almost uh, like uh, they might build those stone fences like in Ireland, you know? And the windows were arched. Oh, it's a beautiful house. I'd love to have something like that. I go inside. And there was my grandmother on my mother's side. Now my grandmother passed away when I was eight or nine years old in my parents' house where I was living too at the time. And not a word was said in this dream. And we hugged Mm. and I got this impression. Everything's okay. Mm. Everything's okay. That was the impression, not, not a spoken word. I, I, and I think that's kind of where the dream ended. Now, what was fascinating to me, and I'll let you jump in here, were the symbols of things that actually came to pass. The 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 driving, the driving on the freeway or the highway, the driving in a white van. I just like. <clears throat> your what are your thoughts? And folks, this is kind of what he does (laughs) yes yes yes
1: yes well let's start with the visitation sensibility okay that grandma felt like she was there that there was a, a kind of a singular setting inside of this house an embrace and a felt sense of all is well that is standard fare for what we call a visitation dream And how we know a dream has happened where someone who has passed away is bona fide visiting is singular setting. There's never the chaotic dream story when someone is visiting. The dream takes place in one single room. Sometimes it's an idyllic setting. I've heard this talked about a lot with like park benches, a lot of park benches for visitation dreams. But just like your dream, a room inside of this house was the singular setting. There were no words spoken. That is so common, Richard. It is often that these dreams aren't verbal, but definitely felt. And the message that's felt is always, I love you, or all is well, or some combo of both. And if words are uttered, they're going to be words like all is well, all is love, or I love you. So then we know that the essence of this experience that you had was, in fact, a visitation. And the fact that you didn't have more than eight years with this grandmother in waking life tells me that you were having a powerful ancestor moment there. Your grandmother was one ancestor letting you know that all is well, why or how Mm. would she know? Because there's way more going on than meets the eye in this human experience. And when we go to sleep and that rational mind that dismisses the mystical is asleep too, then our perception is available for something like grandma coming to visit mm. so standard visitation dream qualities there but now let's break down the story of the dream in the way that I do when I said I interpret symbol by symbol mm-hmm. driving on a highway means you're in consideration of the larger arc of your life's flow we drive in the West so cars and driving is very synonymous to getting around our lives outside of our houses so in a dream symbol symbolism, the highway is the larger movement through your life, not smaller personal journeys, but the larger birth-to-death life. And a white van might have some interesting symbolism because the media tells us that white vans are, you know, for child molesters. <laughs> so there's <laughs> definitely right. But you have a very specific association with a white van. Now, I, as the listener, I'm going to first hear white van, creepy media image. But then the minute you said I drove, my family had a white van. So now that doubles down, Richard, the certainty that this dream is about the arc of you through your life as a member of your family, your parents, your birthing, your movement through life. So the freeway is life on life's terms. And then you get stopped for a moment. You get stopped by a grove of trees and 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 lots of green meadows. Green in the seventh chakra color system is mm. the heart chakra, the center of us where love exists. And green is certainly the color of Mother Earth and her loving birthing of us. So for me, the stopping of the freeway was, I need to get off the path of my life to consider something more deeply spiritual. I'm going to move towards the heart chakra. Houses are always symbols of a sense of self in a dream, whether it's a house or a hotel room or an apartment, homes and self are synonymous. This is not your self In the pedestrian life, I think this is the ancestral self. The stone implies ancient sense of self, because stone lasts. So then you're in this sense of identity that's old and ancient, and then comes an ancestor to tell you that all is well. I think this dream propelled you into a freeway-driven life that is maybe more interested in the underpinnings of connectedness and ancestry than the freeway and the white van. That's mm-hmm. what I think the dream was doing for you.
0: We are talking <clears throat> with uh, uh, Doctor Michael uh, Lennox. He is um, he's a psychologist, but that's not all, folks. He's an astrologer, expert in dreams and dream interpretation, as you just heard him. Uh, I'll put it this way dissect my uh, my dream uh which uh, again it's one of those that I remember to this day he teaches classes in self investigation to a worldwide audience uh, he also has a podcast which we will talk about as well here uh, on the program I'm Richard Dugan and you are listening to tell me your story Dr Lennox is my guest uh, he's got a masters and doctorate in psychology from Chicago school of astrology as well as um a personality um his um doctoral dissertation I, I by the way i've known a couple of people who've gone through this process with their doctoral dissertations and i love the terminology that they use where at at one point before they say you are now a doctor uh, you have to defend your thesis I'm thinking yes. really okay anyway it was published uh um uh, and and it's a base basically he's got a website where you can find out more about him at uh, michaellenox.com. That's M-I-C-H-A-E-L-L-E-N-N-O-X.com. we will be linked to that website as well but you have a podcast which uh, I I've I'm fascinated by the uh, by the name of the podcast conscious embodiment and and of course, you utilize all of the the modalities that you have acquired over the years in this podcast. Talk to us a little bit about first of all, your experience uh, with this aspect of podcasting it's see because when I first started in this business <clears throat> back in nineteen seventy nine um it was 19 years old. All right. I'm 36 now. And a uh, 63. I well, no, my <laughs> uh, interesting slip there, huh? Uh, Very much. I feel 36. How about that? There you go. Uh, uh, and um back then you had to have certain credentials, which I took a shot at getting when I went to broadcast school. And when I went to take the test for those credentials from the Federal Communications Commission they had eliminated the president at that time had eliminated the third class license i was disappointed but nonetheless i still had the knowledge and so i knew what the standards were whereas nowadays anybody including you that's right can you know, have can a, a radio that's right you get a microphone doesn't have to have you don't have to have a camera but most people do these days and you do a program Did you have any impressions and even dreams, intuition prior to embarking on uh, this this uh, this path that you now have with this program that you do this? I like to call them programs regardless. uh, Conscious embodiment. Uh, Did you did you have any impressions in that regard? Oh, yeah, I know this. I'll be doing this. I don't know exactly when, but it's coming.
1: I do wish that I could answer your question in the affirmative because it would be such a sexy sort of thing (laughs) to come on as a dream oriented sort of, you know, person. and, And this and this question, did dreams actually specifically guide me in this chapter? I would say that. When I was a younger man and living in a sense of confusion about what I was to do, my dreams were very instructive and powerful. But once I sort of got past like 40, early 40s and in my you know life unfolding in what I would call fully living my dharma, I would say that there was never a moment where I was so confused that my dreams needed to come in and, and give me a nudge. But they certainly can, and I will say this, by virtue of having been somebody who from teenage years was interested in my dreams and encouraging my own relationship with them and my memory of them and my writing down of them and sharing them with others and eventually learning how to process them, set me up to have a life where I can say to you, by the time I got into my forties, I was cooking with gas, knowing why I was here because I had been working with my own insides for decades where dream work was a prompt, you know, a primary way I unpack what, you know, where I was blocking my flow to create more flow. Mm.
0: I find it uh, fascinating um, when I talk with folks such as yourself who have these wonderful uh, manifestations of ability and uh, capability and so forth. That is not part of, or at least hasn't been for a long time. Oh, you know, because there was a time when, yes, it was part of the norm. It was just what some people, not everybody, but some people did. And of course, we're going back maybe centuries, and that's fine. And it seems as though it's starting to come back into the norm, these these spiritual, if you will, metaphysical, as I like to refer to them. I think of uh, Jesus uh, and his talking to his disciples who were saying they were in awe of the miracles he was performing. Wow, that is really cool, Master. Hey, could you teach us how to do that stuff? You know, turning Mm -hmm. water into wine and raising the dead and healing the sick and so on and so forth. And, and his response, I paraphrase because I'm not King Jimmy, uh, this stuff, that's nothing. You guys, you're going to do greater works than this stuff. This is, this is child's play by comparison to what you're going to do. What I interpreted that to mean after doing interviews for over 40 years and this program for over 15, the greater works he was referring to or that has been alluded to by, I'll use the term, the divine, Mm -hmm. is the transformation of our lives. Mm -hmm. Is that what you are about, helping people to transform their lives through these different modalities that you possess?
1: 100%. In fact, I would say that the message of the Christ consciousness was that God is within. One of the things that astrology offers around this topic is the wisdom of what we call the ages, these 2000 year periods that astrology marks, where we live in the consciousness of a certain sign for two thousand years at a time, and they move backwards in the zodiac, not forwards, right? So six thousand years ago, we were in the age of Taurus. Taurus is a sign that invented the Earth herself, and during those two thousand years, we worshipped the Earth herself. The sun was sort of the god, the Earth was the goddess, and we had all of these, you know, uh, if, you know, first nations or uh, civilizations around the world all practicing some form of. Worship of the natural elements. And then the 2000 year age of Taurus made that make sense. Then it moves backwards and Aries is the next age. And Aries is this singular energy, this startup energy, the fire that says I am. And that's the coming of the God of Abraham, where monotheism sort of started to rise up that would eventually spread out into the Western world. So we had that kind of consciousness of the divine for 2000 years. When Christ came, it was the beginning of the age of Pisces 2,000 years ago. And what was his message? His was, yes, there is one God. And where is that God? Inside you. All of these you will do and more is what his message was because he was saying, if you do what I do, you will recognize that you are divine mm-hmm. and therefore powerfully creative. That's what I think his message was. But then religion sort of took over that message in 400 AD where the sort of whole Rome became the, the you know, uh, uh, the Pope and, uh, uh, and, and Christianity became connected with uh, colonization. So we have 2000 years of that consciousness that is exiting and the age of aquarius is one where we have a global community possible because the sign of Aquarius is about caring for the community, where we have a kind of a oneness possibility that people on a mystical path and a spiritual lifestyle already understand. We are all one. We are more connected than we are not connected. If we harm others, we're harming ourselves. And if we lift up others, we're lifting up the collective. And that's the essence of the age of of Aquarius. Now, we're in the transition between the old age and the new one, which means Everything is falling apart and it looks terrible. Uh, But I agree with you that there's an emerging sensibility of a spiritual way of connecting to the divine that doesn't have the problem that religiosity has where there's an intermediary, where you (laughs) don't get to touch the divine unless you go to that building and follow those rules. And that is an old way. And the new way is God is within. And if we all come together, we can each be very, very different, but we can create a community that serves all.
0: Dr. Michael uh, Lennox is my guest. MichaelLennox.com, which we will be uh, linked to, is his website. We're talking about his uh, uh, latest work, which uh, we're actually very excited about. I actually received two copies. I don't know how that happened. Psychic Dreamer. Uh, exploring the conscious uh, co- the connection between <laughs> dreams and uh, the and intuition. Uh, again, that's a big pre- big part of what we are talking about. As you heard me mention earlier about um, this is the decade of perfect vision. Okay, as then now I coined that. Now, first of all, I say this not to boast all right i hear i hear a lot of people oh i coined that phrase i made up that word i i i i no, no no the universe gave me that phrase okay this program is run by the universe it asks the question i'm just along for the ride i'm just the universe mouthpiece and a big one at that <laughs> i'll acknowledge that but um this is the decade. Now, 2020 was the year of perfect vision. Where do you get perfect vision? There's only one place where you can get perfect vision, and that's by going within. And one of the other beautiful things, uh, Michael, that I, um, I learned over the years is there was a point in time where I wanted to try to find a place that I could go on the earth to get away from everything. however (laughs) what i found was and this is what happens to small little communities for example sedona arizona i was born and raised in phoenix and sedona arizona was a wonderful metaphysical and spiritual place i don't know if you've ever been there before but if you go there now and you were able to find photographs of it 20 or 30 years ago uh, let alone when i was a kid growing up in the 60s and 70s when my parents when we were on summer vacation we would drive through and we would stop and so forth and we'd go to the church in the rock and and uh, oh, by the way i fell off the wall that leads uh, that's alongside the path going up to the church oh, and wow. my mother said richard you need to get down from there or you're going to fall which i did exactly that <laughs> i fell anyway and now you go back and you look at it and it's like where's Sedona? This, this isn't Sedona. This is a mess. This is, you know, so many people. And and by the way, they've paved the highway into Sedona um, with uh, sidewalks that are the color of the red rocks, which I'll give them credit for their creativity in that regard, but it is not, but this is what happens. So, you know, I'm thinking I've got to find a place where I could go. And then I thought, well, wait a minute. If I can go there and find it, that means that so can other people (laughs) like Sedona. Okay. So I finally realized over the years of doing this program, oh, I now know where I can go and no one else can go there. And that's going within. So we encourage people to do that. And we encourage them to just sit quietly, peacefully. You can call it meditation. You can call it whatever you want. Prayer. And then listen to that still small voice. And I call my still small voice, my friend. I don't mind sharing that. Mm. I have heard the voice of my sister after her passing, my eldest sister, two years ago, um, telling me, like in that dream i shared with you, where my grandmother said, hey, it's okay. She said, my sister said to me, hey, Richard, everything's okay. It's all good. It's okay. My father passed away last March and actually is the first of March either. Interestingly, I never have heard his voice in the way I heard my sisters. However, I get impressions and the real interesting thing is my friend, there are times when I will start talking to myself out loud, bolstering myself, telling myself, Hey, it's going to be all right. You're doing fine da da da. da." And I honestly believe in a manner of speaking, I'm channeling my father or he's speaking through those words through me to tell me, Hey, I'm proud of you. Cause he would tell me that all the time. I'm proud of you. You're doing fine. Just keep going down the path. You're going, you help people to deal with dreams like that. Similar to what I shared just a little while ago, but sometimes when you have, um, these visitations and sometimes it isn't from people who have passed on. Is that, is that an accurate statement where sometimes it may be a visitation by a living person that, you know, and it's like, w- w- where did you come from? Oh my God, I hope you're not, you know, cause we've seen plenty of movies where they'll be visited by someone and they, this person has passed on. Well, not in this case, this is, have you ever, uh, first of all, is that something that you have, Experienced or help people to to decipher and to define and so forth, uh, and talk to us about those kinds of dreams, those visitation dreams.
1: Sure, you you have used the term a couple of times today. Uh, the still small voice. Yes, uh, which I'm grateful for because usually I'm introducing that phrase to make <laughs> this point. There is, in fact, a still small voice. It is a connected sensibility. We call it intuition. There are different ways of like naming it. But whatever you call it, Richard, it's still and small. It's a quiet voice. And then we have this other voice, the one that narrates, the one that we think of as our identity, the part of our brain that is always talking to us and through us and as us. So this is the voice in us that really is designed to make sure we don't bump into the furniture and that we look both ways as we cross the street. Mm -hmm. The challenge of the mind is, is that it's not grounded in the present moment. It has the ability to look forward into the future and behind us into the past and cause suffering. So two things there, right there. If we think too much outside of the moment, we are in suffering. And if we're thinking so much with our rational mind, we cannot hear the still, small voice of Mm. intuition. Mm -hmm. It dreams that still, small voice goes to sleep. And so our ability to perceive things through our intuition and our multidimensional consciousness rises up because we're not interfering that with our rational mind that would tell us, well, that's not real. So we have dream experiences where visitations happen, precognitive things happen, we get psychic visions in dreams. We might solve a problem. We might share a dream that that a loved one is also having. There's all sorts of mystical phenomenon that will take place in dreams. But then when we take this sensibility and we add it to what you're talking about is a waking life discipline of learning how to turn within and find the quietude in your mind while awake, That's the closest thing that we in waking life can replicate the sleep state where the mind is asleep. Mm. This is why I I call it meditation. And sometimes I call it rumination because to me, those are actually two different disciplines, but we can teach people how to find their own inner stillness and therefore the still small voice within. And I believe that if someone is also paying attention to their dreams, where we are practicing this, in an utter way, where the rational mind is completely asleep, and we find our intuitive mind that it becomes easier to do that in waking life because periodically you're sitting down in a chair, disciplining that quietude that allows the still small voice to be more identifiable.
0: You know, another word that came to my mind as you mentioned uh, uh, those two aspects of sitting quietly <laughs> and one. The word that came up was fermentation.
1: <laughs> ah, beautiful. I love it, that. And, and fermented food is one of the healthiest things you can put in your body. So I like the idea of fermenting yourself yeah. psychically so you can, you know, re- enrich your yeah uh,
0: A couple things on that, a sidebar. Um, I've often wondered now, it is said that uh, uh, if you take wine and you let it sit for long enough, uh, y- it will go bad and you'll have, basically you'll have vinegar. Vinegar, yeah. So my next question is, so how do you know when vinegar goes bad? That's a rhetorical question. Uh, You know, being here in wine country uh, here in California. um, But I used to say, oh, I can't, I don't, I don't want to have anything to do with fermented food. And then I realized, well, wait a minute. You like sauerkraut, pal. That's fermented. fermented, So there you go. Um, When, when a person wants to, Get in touch. We'll put it this way: get in touch with their dreams. All right. Uh, I am one of those who rarely remembers their dreams. Now, and I've heard a lot of techniques and so forth. And then there are times when I will wake up, and the dream is right there. I it's like okay, and and I can still see in my imagination, if you will, my mind's eye. I can still see the the aspects, the images, and so forth. And a few hours later, I can't remember anything, <laughs> nothing. And I know if you have a piece of paper and a pen or something like that, or your phone and you record it and on and on and on. Um, And yet I remember the 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 three dreams that I've shared here on this program, two from childhood, very early childhood, And then that one from probably, I was probably in my, in my uh, late twenties, early thirties when I had that dream about my grandmother, Mm. but I don't really remember. Well, no, I take that back. One just came to mind, a dear friend of mine who I worked with back in the two thousands, early two thousands, uh, actually late 1990s to two thousands, good friend, we we became fast friends when I went to work for this one radio station. And I remember the dream where we went out to Scottsdale at night to this manufacturing plant. I don't know why we were there. We were just there. And I remember that he fell into this processing, um, a kind of like cone thing, you know, like kind of like a wood chipper where you feed the wood in. Uh, wow. this wasn't, th- but this wasn't a wood chipper. And I remember waking and thinking, Oh my god, I killed him because so, first I don't remember seeing me push him in or anything, but it was just that impression that went through my mind, and it's like. What the heck? And it's, it actually scared me because I really thought I had killed him in reality, in this reality, and that I was going to be going to jail. (laughs) And it wasn't the going to jail part that bothered me. It was the fact that I had taken a human life Uh, to the point that I remember when I first started driving, I swore that if I ever ever hit another human being with a vehicle, I would hand my driver's license to the officer and say, I'm walking from now on. I cannot deal with this. Well, I actually did have an incident where an individual, I believe actually jumped in front of my truck and the insurance company paid him, paid him a small amount just so it's over, you know, because they said, they told me, they said, Oh yeah, we see this all the time and it's cheaper to just go ahead and pay them. The, in this case, it was $10,000. Then spend the time where it may end up, we may end up paying him 50, 60,000. I didn't hand my license over, but it bothered the daylights out of me because at the time I didn't think that uh, it came out of nowhere. That's why, you know, I think that that that's what it was and obviously the outcome of the insurance company. But um, that whole aspect of having dreams where you lose someone in this process, whatever, whatever the modality was where you lose them. Um, are those dreams, I don't, I'm not going to say they're precognitive dreams because God forbid that we should live out some of the, the actions that we do in our dreams such as that. Uh, but what about this aspect of precognitive dreams? Is that what my, uh, uh, my dream was of my mother, my grandmother, or, or was that, and, and of course, the one of the, of my friend that I worked with, where we went to that, that processing plant in Scottsdale. Uh, do you, uh, how do you define those, uh, those yeah. types of dreams? So if did if your they're friend, not pre-cognitive.
1: Did your friend die in some horrible industrial accident?
0: As far as I know, he's still alive yeah. to this day. Right. He, so yeah. not a
1: pre-cognitive dream. Yeah. So you've asked a lot of questions. So let me see if I can address this. Somehow. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> sort of put on the table for me to talk about <clears throat> um so precognitive cognitive dreaming is something that absolutely happens all the time and i'm hearing it more and more and more over the decades as more people step on to a self-awareness path that they're you know sensitive to uh, uh you know uh, interpreting more uh, of their own intuitive experiences and um but the the I've never ever heard a story like in a movie where it was like, oh my God, I dreamt that I fell off a cliff and then a week later I fell off a cliff or someone fell off a cliff. It's it's never quite that wildly overt. In fact, my 1st precognitive dream happened when I was a teenager where I had a dream of sitting cross-legged in a circle of people. And then a week later I went into a classroom experience where the teacher made us sit cross legged in a circle. And while I was sitting in the circle, I was like, oh, my God, I dreamed this a week ago. <laughs> it's like so someone says, you know, you can have precognitive dreams. And everybody's like, well, I want that. That sounds fascinating and rich, except that some of them are as innocuous as, you know, I'm walking down this, you know, the grocery store aisle and something falls. And it's like, oh, yeah, I dreamed this a bit ago. Mm. I had an experience with a woman who had precognitive dreams routinely, which means we knew she had dreams that came true. Also, mostly low stakes events. And one day she called me up in a panic. She said, I just had a dream that I got into a terrible car crash, driving over the Sepulveda Pass in the rain. And I sat back and I thought for a moment, she <laughs> said, well, when it rains this rainy season, don't take Sepulveda home. <laughs> <laughs> So I want to say that precognitive dreaming is powerful. It happens a lot and I think that as people simply pay attention to their dreams by trying to increase the memory of them and the writing down of them, so I'll get to that in my next answer, Mm -hmm. I think that we would find that in fact there's a lot of ways that we are receiving impressions of events that have not yet come in our dream state. And I suspect that this is happening way more than we know, but the person who remembers their dreams more regularly is gonna have more access to the potential for a dream to be revealing a precognitive event. Mm. So real quick, just to address the other two questions that you asked so that we cover the things that might be interesting to your viewers, is that the reason why some people remember their dreams very well and others don't is just a wiring thing. It's just like some people have good sense of direction and others don't. It's kind of like that on one level. Mm -hmm. But let me give a little distinction about how the brain is working. We are very visual people, but we use our eyes to see. And so we would see a dream as very visual, but it's not the visual cortex connected to the eyes that's doing that visual perception. It's other parts of the brain working in tandem to create imagery. So we have the dream, we wake up in the middle of the night, we think, I'll never forget this dream. This was so powerful. Then we wake up the next morning, we don't even remember that we had it in the first place. That's because we open our eyes and the visual cortex takes over and everything else becomes diminished so fast that the window of having enough material in there to bleed into our waking memory, that window is very, very short. Mm-hmm. So there's ways to increase that ability. There's three steps. One is you got to put the dream journal by your bedside. So like you said, you can yeah. just it in the morning without distraction. The second thing that's important is before you go to bed, set the intention. Intention is powerful. The brain will respond if you say, I want to remember more of my dreams. The third piece, and this is the one that counts, you go to the dream journal in the morning, no matter what. You say, I don't remember anything from last night. Then you wait a moment just to see if anything pops in. If not, then you get up and go about your day. That third step, of training your unconscious to keep the window open through the power of intention, I think is valuable.
0: What is the difference between precognitive dreams and deja vu moments? And I will tell you at the age of seven, and I actually do believe it was a Sunday because um, I remember Every time I turned around on that particular Sunday, whether we were going to mass or whatever, every time I turned around, I'm going, uh, uh, "I've been here before." Seven year old, and it—I thought I was going to go crazy. And I will tell you that my interpretation of déjà vu moments for me, as I would guess, it's probably different for everybody. Is the universe, and I—I I haven't had them in a while. Is telling me you're on the right path just keep going you're doing fine just keep keep moving keep moving that's it's it's they're not warnings it's just signposts yep this way you know that kind of thing but what is the difference between precognitive and uh precognition i guess is another word and deja vu
1: yeah You know, when I, I, uh, in my journey as a dream person in the world, uh, 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 in in like 2003, I had a big TV show on dreams on the sci-fi network. So I was very visible for a year or two um, in the world of people, you know, asking me questions publicly about dreams and dreaming. And I was surprised the first time someone asked me about deja vu, because I thought, well, gee, deja vu isn't dreams. Why are you asking me that? And then when the 735th person, asked me to talk about déjà vu. I thought, okay, there must be a connection. Let me lean in and see what I'm told about this. And so one thing loosely that I'll say that I've talked about a lot, we both have talked a lot about this idea that there's a still small voice where we are connected to the mystery and the rational mind that eradicates that perception of the mystery. And so on a certain level, Dreams allow for that expanded perception because the limit is asleep. And deja vu for me, here's how I define it is that the idea of time is something that our bodies experience. Our body starts life at the first breath and ends life at our final breath. I always think it's fascinating too, that the first thing we do is breathe in. And the last thing we do is breathe out. Life is a breath. The, Quantum physicists will tell us that time and our perception of it is an illusion and that all things exist all at once, everything, everywhere, all at once. I sometimes think about life this way. We as three-dimensional beings create a two-dimensional world and our phones have us do this constantly, right? We're creating a two-dimensional digital version of our consciousness in our phones, with our pictures and our social media, And our four-dimensional consciousness has created our lives. I sometimes think of our lives as like a DVD movie version of us, that a four-dimensional consciousness is watching the whole thing as one unit, but we in bodies start at the beginning, move through time, and end at the ending. But that's an illusion. And I think that deja vu is a moment where that perception of time rips apart and for just a moment you're like, I've been here before. I don't think it's that we've done that thing before. I think what's happening is we're having a perception that this thing that we're doing is infinite and constant and happening all at once.
0: Mm. And that
1: in those moments what we call deja vu, your body and your mind can perceive that and it feels like this is familiar because it already exists.
0: Another dream that came to mind, my wife, my first, second wife and I <clears throat> went on our honeymoon. Uh, no, actually, this was the second trip we took in 2004 to Ireland. <clears throat> and uh, one night I had this dream, but it was audible. There was there were no images. And it was the voice of a dear friend of ours who passed away in our home uh, the year prior. And his, the the words, I remember them to this day. Don't say anything bad in front of Bridget. I'm thinking when I woke up, who the hell is who's Bridget? Who the hell is Bridget? All right. So we, uh, a day or two later, we took a ferry from the west coast of Ireland uh, where we were staying. Inish Moor was uh, um, the, I believe it was the island name that we were on, which is interesting. They called it an island and it was connected by a bog road. But, I guess bog Road doesn't qualify.
1: How does land? okay, yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> anyway, we took this ferry out to the Erin islands uh, to uh, the island of Inishni, <clears throat> and um we're walking a we're you know, we're just walking, you know, we get off the ferry and we start our our journey on the island, not a huge, not a big island. and we come to this uh, cemetery, which of course, there are a lot of them, uh, and um. Uh, I'm I'm over at this one what I'll call altar where they had this stone circle with a hole in it that I jokingly said and I took a picture of it as well. I said, "Oh yeah, this is this is the first wheel." you know, kind of thing. Well, my wife was walking around the cemetery and she says comes over to me she says, "Come here. Come here." I uh-huh. said, "Okay, all right." So I follow her. And she stops by this tombstone that's it's a flat on a flat a uh, horizontal stone on the ground. She says, read the name on the tombstone. You know where this is going. Of course. <laughs> and it was Bridget. And it was my wife's last name of McDonough. The I immediately I put my hand yep. over my mouth and walked away. <laughs> ah, ha, ha, you listened, <laughs> I did. you know, <laughs> um i that was that was one of the the more humorous uh uh experiences
1: oh, that's adorable were you ever tempted in that experience though to push for deeper meaning like who's this bridget does she count or matter
0: you know i hadn't really thought too much about it uh i, I honestly it wasn't something that that uh, you know i was going to lose any sleep over from that standpoint but it's uh it was, it was just unusual uh, yeah. that my dear friend, his name was Dave Kaufman, uh, and he, um, uh, you know, he he basically uh, uh, said those words in my head, so to speak, or my my subconscious. I certainly remembered them because they were very profound. I mean, there we were in Ireland, and Bridget is a pretty Irish name, and all that kind of stuff. Not not really thinking too much about it, and then boom, that experience happened. It's like. Wow. Yeah. And I
1: asked the question because if you did, if you were like, oh, my God, the important message here is Bridget and who is she? You would have left the groove. The groove is that nonsensical way that our higher and lower selves come together in a moment. The message is you're on the right track. Your friend was almost operating more as trickster Mm -hmm. than anything else, because trickster is the archetype that gets us to wisdom, but sideways. So trickster says, let's give this guy, you, Richard, Mm. an incredibly unavoidable precognitive and visitation experience combined. Yeah. Just to fulfill your life's Purpose journey of exploring these things as deeply as you can, and then clearly having a, a dharma that says I share about it publicly with yeah. your microphone.
0: And and by the way, on that very same trip, and this happened to be around my wife's birthday, which is February second. Uh, there's another location on I on the island on in Ireland. I'll get it out. Uh, referred to, it's a very, it's a, it is historical called Bridget's Well. Oh, my. And she wanted to go there. Uh, it has a lot of Celtic meaning to it. And uh, so we go there, and I'm taking pictures, again, with a digital, uh, I believe it, uh, yeah, at that, yeah, we had a digital camera at that time uh, on the second trip that we went in 2004. And when we went back to look at the pictures, because I took some pictures of the interior of the well, which was had water in it. And I've zoomed in on it and I have scrutinized it. And I swear there is a fairy in that picture. So again, we're talking Bridget's wealth, Bridget, don't say anything bad in front of Bridget, and so forth and so on. So I'm I'm connecting all of that together and saying, hey, this was a, I'll call it a profound i'll even go so far as to say supernatural experience
1: i would call it that i would absolutely call it that a little rip in the fabric of rationality that reveals behind every rational moment is the divine's hand
0: yeah my mother asked me once if i'd ever had any supernatural experiences and at the time answering her question i said well uh not that i'm aware of and i mean if i did they were th- they appeared to me just as n- normal occurrences, just like you know, with and for I'm not putting myself in his position, folks, uh like Jesus uh performing miracles. that's just what he did, that's okay, right. it was no big deal to him. It was just what he did, just like you like you use the example of breathing. I love that. I never even thought of that before, breathing in when you first come into the world, and when you leave, you breathe out That's
1: right that's right, and it's
0: kind of like. You take from the earth, inhale, and then you That's give right. it back at the end. You, you give, it, give back.
1: it back. We've come full circle in our conversation, Richard. I love that.
0: Oh man. By the way, um, a couple of other quick things I want to remind you folks of the website, which is michaellenox.com, which we will be linked to. Uh, we are I am I am absolutely thrilled. I, I I was looking through a lot of the stuff that you have available on your website, michaellenox.com. And, um, I, I, I'm, I'm one final question, at least as far as the interview is concerned, I do have three final questions that I ask all of my guests, but we'll get to that. I want to ask you in reference to this whole genre that you are a part of, especially, you know, like when, how you express it in your podcast here on this program, et cetera, et cetera, in front of live audiences, where does the, Attribute, I guess, is a good word to use of manifesting in one's life, manifesting your desired reality yes. through this aspect of dreams. Yes. Uh, is that something that is uh, that uh, I mean, we talked about transformation uh, and, I, and I, I certainly understand that. But is 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 that sort of a. Um, a sub. Uh, aspect to all of this, helping people to learn how to manifest the things that they really do desire in their lives?
1: Yeah, yeah. Let me answer this in two ways. One is that the work that I do in the teaching classes, the self-investigation, is all about what we loosely call shadow work. The idea that all of us have inside of our psyches some wounds and injuries based on our pasts that because they are there, the wounded consciousness is very dense and doesn't allow energy to flow through us in mad you know magnificent ways. So we heal the wounds to have a greater expression of our energy through our embodiment. That's why I say conscious embodiment. And that what that means, conscious embodiment is that we clean out the wounds so that we can embody the choices we make from higher places in our consciousness, not from the lower wounds. So that's the general sort of work that I do. When it comes to the manifestation idea that's very popular out there, Mm -hmm. it's very focused on the yes. That is you pick something that you want, you create a thought that says, I have it. Then you use your emotional body to generate the feelings that it's already come to you. And the manifestation teachers will say, you can have anything if you just do that. The Mm. problem with this, Richard, is that you can't have anything you want. You can have what you're capable of creating, what you have the talent to express. And most importantly, and here's where it counts, you can only have and or attract and keep something that you feel worthy of. Mm. And your conscious mind might say yes, but your no and your unworthiness, that's in the unconscious. Well, where do we go in dreams? We go to the unconscious. How do you incorporate dream work into a manifestation project process? Is that while you're during the day thinking about the thing you want and generating the felt <laughs> feeling of having it, at night, you sit down with your dream journal, you set the intention to have a dream. You might even write it down. Hey, higher self or dear unconscious, bring me a dream to reflect my resistance or my fear or my doubts about this thing I desire. And then you let your dreams do some of that inner work Mm. to let go of some of the fears and unworthiness so that you can actually potentially attract that thing you desire.
0: Yeah. Well, I have basically shared this on the program before, and that is that uh, not uh, coming from a position of abundance and prosperity, not of lack, but of uh, prosperity and abundance, I want more. I want more in that bank account of mine. I want more in terms of uh, people such as yourself in my life. That's I want, right. you know, and more. I want more. More is a very powerful prayer. Yeah, the,
1: I fully approve of.
0: Yeah. Uh, So we'll see how that all works out. Uh, Dr. Michael Lennox is my guest. MichaelLennox.com is the website, the book. We hope that you will get a copy of this book because I think it will do wonders for you. And uh, the book is entitled Psychic Dreamer. That can be you uh, basically exploring the a connection between dreams and intuition. And we've talked about both. There are times, uh, uh, Michael, that I will go through an entire interview in spite of the fact that I will mention 2020, the decade of perfect vision. Hey, we encourage you to participate by going within and listening to that still small voice and never touch upon that subject in the interview. I'm going, well, we're going to have to have you back, but I want to have you back to, <clears throat> to, um, talk more about this in terms of dreams, but also the connection uh, between dreams, uh, the dream work that you do and and astrology, uh, because I find that fascinating. And so I would love to have you back to talk more about that. But I want to thank you for being a part of this particular edition of Tell Me Your Story. It's just been f- fascinating, fun, and uh, thank you so much for being a part of what we're doing here.
1: It was a great pleasure. Thank you for having me.
0: I do have three final questions for you, however. Uh, But before I ask those questions, let me thank you for listening to and watching. Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World, where we're giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. We are here on Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m., 9 a.m. for our special edition of Tell Me Your Story. And we are also on... We were so graciously given the opportunity to be with you Monday through Friday from 8 to 9 a.m. following the news. So please uh, take a uh, take time to uh, tune into any one or all nine programs. They're all going to be different. We hope that you will listen. And watch. Uh, We podcast at uh, SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, Blueberry, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, and many other locations. Too numerous to mention here. We're also on YouTube where you can watch these conversations. I hope you'll subscribe. I've said it before and I'll say it again. I'm not that interested in the numbers. Because I don't really know what they really mean. I only know that... I want you and many more people to listen to what our guests have to say. And uh, we hope that you will subscribe and then click notification so that when a new conversation is posted, you'll be able to uh, participate by tuning in. We uh, also ask that if you can support the work that we are doing financially, we would be so gratefully appreciative. We have a PayPal account. It is therefore your security as well as ours. The email address they'll ask you for. Richard at richarddugan.com. Any amount is welcome. We'll take energetic support as well. We will put that to good use as well. And as I've already said throughout the program, please take time during this, the decade of perfect vision, to spend some time in that quiet, peaceful, nobody else can get to. There is no ticket you can buy or sell for other people to join you. Quiet, peaceful, calm, still place where you can tune into and listen to that still small voice for encouragement, inspiration, education, uh, whatever you're looking for, you'll find it there. We hope that you will do that. With all of that being said, we now move to our final three questions. I used to call this the lightning round, uh, Michael, <clears throat> but it made it sound Uh-oh. too much too much like a game show. So, <laughs> first question is who? is Michael Lennox.
1: Your ambassador to conscious embodiment. <laughs> that's, the, that's the moniker. But I really, really, I live that. That I love to help people find richer ways to, to live in their bodies by paying attention to their consciousness.
0: What gets you up in the morning?
1: Oh my God, that's so funny because it's my work. For sure. Like I do a video uh, on social media first thing in the morning that usually goes out around 5 a.m. and I'm I'm an early riser and I literally get pushed out of my bed in the morning for, with the desire to serve my community.
0: Mm-hmm. And finally, and I will share with you the uh, the the background on this question, it comes from the movie City Slickers where the three guys are on horseback, they're riding and Mitch asks the question of the other two gentlemen and himself, and I ask you, what was your best day?
1: Oh my gosh. Golly, let me first say there have been so many of them. Um, but I think in the spirit of a conversation about like who I am and how I serve. I'm going to just choose this because it's the vision that popped in the day that I defended my dissertation when I walked into a room and people said, all right, what you've been doing for the last two years? And I shared it. And at the end, they said, congratulations, Dr. Michael Lennox, uh, because that moniker is the thing that drives and helps drive my ability to serve people because they pay a little more attention because I got the letters "Dr." in front of my name. (laughs)
0: Uh, if I may ask, what, what's the title of your dissertation?
1: Astrology and Personality was seeking to look at would people who were reading profiles generated by an astrologer, by the Myers-Briggs Type Index, ah. five-factor model, which is a more modern psychological personality exam. So I gave people random profiles, one of which in each section was theirs, and they had to rate. Did they identify with this or that to see if an astrological profile would have the same or better recognition that the Myers-Briggs and the five-factor model had? And it did.
0: Wow. Well, you know what? We'll have to have you back just to talk about that as (laughs) well. That's fascinating because I've never taken the Myers-Briggs, but I've heard of it and I've heard uh, of of uh, what it can reveal. I know there are other tests that are similar, but that seems to be like the the gold standard in that regard. Well, Michael Michael Lennox, again, thank you so much for being with us here on Tell Me Your Story, and uh, we look forward, as I said before, to having you back again.
1: Sounds good. Thank you.
0: And I thank you for listening to and watching Tell Me Your Story: New Paradigms for a New World. We are giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. And until our next broadcast podcast videocast. <clears throat> yes, folks, it does get a little long after a while. I pay homage to some very special people that have been in my life. Love to Lal, Jeanette, I am still listening. Dad, continue to be happy because I am. To my friend Smokey, my best friend of 53 years, I will see you on the other side. And to my dear friend Zorro, aho, aho.